Hi. Hi. So remember when we were like, oh, we're going to go like eat some soup and leave <laughs> last episode? Um, a little bit of what my, like we might call movie magic has happened. <laughs> right. And we didn't just jump straight from that pod to the next. We looked at our clocks. It was almost 10 p.m. We said we cannot talk for another two hours straight. I know. So instead we got drunk. We hung out. Sam slept over because there is a massive snowstorm and an empty bed in my house. In many ways, this was has been a recording retreat <laughs> for me. Um, I have not left this apartment in... 24 hours. This is a session, and you know how, like, they'll be like, oh, yeah, like, we wrote all these songs in, like, a session. Like, we're kind of having a session now. <laughs> right. So we're here, we're back in the booth, and we're getting ready to gab a little bit about AOTYs. Specifically. Our albums of our the year. Our albums of the year. We have um, a little glass of each of a glass of wine. We, yeah, we're, we're, this is, we're gonna, we're, I'm feeling Lucy Goose. I'm feeling Lucy Goose, I'm feeling ready. I was working all day, slash... <laughs> Pretending to work. Trying to work all day. Yeah. This was such a, such a, sorry, I'm like dealing with my hair. Sam is putting his hair up in a high bun, high pony. I'm trying to figure out the best way to, because it keeps bumping into stuff. Oh, you can just like move move it around. I think we should keep this in. Let people know what the real, but the real process is like. I actually think this is fine. I won't put it back up. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, like I said, Phil and Lucy Goose. So how this is going to work, it's going to be a little bit different than the songs episode. We did each individually make a top 10 list of albums. We will not be publishing that information. It's private. It's private. Relative privacy, okay? Yeah. You don't have to know everything about us. You guys are so obsessed with us. And it's just weird. Exhausting. Text, text, emails, phone calls, pages. (laughs) From the people that love us, it's disgusting. Yeah. But anyway, as we expected, we had like a decent amount of overlap on our top 10 albums. So what we did is we have compiled together a top five albums, not ranked, just kind of five albums. Um, and then we have each prepared a little two f- extra albums that only appeared on our lists, also not ranked. So, you know, if you're a list gal, I'm a list gal. This episode, you know, might not be the most satisfying thing in the world for you. And, um, I challenge you to, like, allow that to happen to you. You don't only have to engage with media and content that you personally agree with. And that's something I want to... I want to shout that out to kind of, like, my greater community. Like, we can be challenged and we can wrestle (laughs) with content and with literature, which both... This podcast is both of those things. Content and literature. It's journalism. It's... Writing. It's writing. It's it's in many ways, it's kind of like a religious undertaking. (laughs) Completely. And I, I want you to grapple with this, the fact that you will not hear our favorite albums 10 to 1 because sometimes you don't get what you want and I want us to be okay with that as a community as a as a listener <laughs> not everything we say is going to be easy for you and I I challenge you guys to stick with it we're, we're practicing radical honesty right now by telling <laughs> you you may not like this episode and we encourage you to keep listening because we think it will be worth it should we get Get booming? I would love to get booming right now. Um, so we're going to start with the albums that we individually prepared that do not appear on the other person's lists. Yeah. Yeah. Sam, do you want to freaking kick it off? Go- I'll kick it, kick it off. Kick it off. Um, so the first album that I'm going to talk about is Ungodly Hour by Chloe and Hallie. I thought this album was so fucking good. 
Um, and I think Chloe and Hallie are so compelling and interesting and cool. So the, the, the main thing that I really like about Ungodly Hour is that, like, it's a little bit weird. Yeah. It's definitely R&B. Like, it's a solidly R&B album, and it uses R&B elements and, like, a solid R&B, like, arrangement style. But there will be these moments of, like, chromatic chords that almost sound wrong, or these, like random melodic jumps that kind of like appear out of nowhere and it they take you by surprise and like I said they kind of almost sound like incorrect but they're clearly intentional it just like adds nuance to these songs that I think otherwise would be kind of basic yeah I was listening to this again yesterday and a little bit the day before and I think that when I first heard it what I got from it was like oh this sounds like an incredibly tight on an incredibly, like, well-made early 2000s R&B album, which is not at all a knock to them. But that was, I think, maybe why I didn't necessarily, like, give it the attention that everyone around me was telling me I should. Yeah. Um, And it was just because, like, I think they do such a great job being incredibly referential to that sound. I mean, like knowing that they are Beyonce's prodigy protégés like there is um I hear Destiny's Child in there yeah like totally. the chords that they're singing and just like the overall vibe but I agree with you that there are just like some really interesting production choices that make it feel a little more current to me yeah and and, and I think what's cool about this album is that it feels like it's Chloe and Hallie like discovering what their signature is yeah I I think that the impression I have on this is like this is queuing them up to make like Completely. an insanely good next album. And they're both really involved in the production. Like Chloe specifically is like has producing credits on this album. And I, I it's cool just like seeing them kind of figure themselves out. And I think that's what's happening on this album. And they're clearly so talented. So I'm just like so excited for them figuring it out more and like having it become more effortless to them and them really like honing in on who they are. And the fact that this is kind of a album in the process of that discovery and is still so good. And they're both like, just like stunning. Yeah. Yeah. And simply younger than us. Yeah. Thumbs down to that. But thumbs up to this album. Yeah. Check it out, baby. Okay, cool. So my, um, this album called youth pastoral by Ben Saraton is not an album that got a ton of recognition this year, but I um, read a review of this album on Pitchfork, and I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. I'll listen to it. And the day that I started listening to this album was March 13th. Um, And it was like my first day that my company was remote, and it was like two days before I moved to go home, and it was just like pouring rain out. And I like turned this on, and it just like clicked with me in this way that like was surprising and really cool. Yeah, and so this is basically, like, an album that's, like, loosely wrapped around this concept of Ben Saraton having a falling out with evangelical Christianity. Like, he had been an evangelical Christian, was, like, really into God, and then kind of, like, came to realization that that, like, wasn't as much his thing. And so it's, like, in a way, like, a breakup album with... A religion. With a religion. Um, And it's very, like kind of like these like up high vocals a little bit yeah almost like a bony bear without the voice modulator um over these like really intricate kind of like 
guitar string and horn arrangements and yeah it's just like a really like just gorgeous album the writing on it is like very sparse like some of my favorite songs only have like seven lines that kind of end up taking like three minutes to get through Mm -hmm. um but there's these like super rich scenes of him getting baptized and like just you know him like sitting under like a big willow tree at like a god camp it's just it's just like it's just like a really like just beautiful album and i think part of the reason why it ended up staying in my rotation for so long is like it had a little bit of an ambient quality to it for me at first so it was something i was basically able to work and listen to but as i started listening to it more um it i realized it was like sort of stuck in my head one of the songs on it power zone was like my like fourth most listened to song this year i had this just like gorgeous little horn section that for some reason reminded me of melissa etheridge's come to my window which does not have a horn section (laughs) but it just like had like this like similar like melodic turn in it and it just like yeah and it just is like a beautiful record and i really recommend listening to it um if you're into that kind of music you should check it out yeah that's my choice yeah. Listen to it. Um, so my next one that only appeared on my list was The Baby, which was an album by Samia. I want to note that this was very much on the edge of my list yeah. as well. Because we both love this album. This is a, a great album. And so when I first started like consuming music critically, early, mid-high school, my metric for what a good album, quote-unquote, was, was just like, okay, what is the album that has the most good songs on that on it? Like, that to me was what a good album was. Obviously, it's evolved a little bit since then. But going by this by that metric, this is my album of the year for me. Yeah. Like, every single song is so good. It is so good. It's like, it's, a, I think, a 10-song album. Indie and like, pop? I would say. Yeah, I, I would say it's, like, solidly indie pop. It's, like, a, it's kind of like a soccer mommy sort of, like... Yeah, like, soccer mommy, like, meets Maggie Rogers. She, she has, like, a band, but then there's also, like, moments of kind of digital production happening on it. Yeah. Um, I almost want to kind of just be, like, these are all the good songs. <laughs> like, like... Yeah. It opens with a song called Pool, which is, like, this really vibey kind of, like ethereal underwatery like not a lot of beat happening and it's this great opener and then she like hits you over the head with the next song which is fit and fall which is just which is bop a a bop about like taking your clothes off in public and like feeling good about your body yeah yeah and and just like and then the next one is big wheel which might be my favorite on the album yeah definitely up there yeah um it's about like friends growing apart but it's like kind of like it's, yeah. Yeah, and that's like solidly in like the folk category. It's like got a little plucky guitar and it's Yeah. It's so it's easy and it's great and then if you want to go deeper, there is so much there to like sink your teeth into. Yeah, and it, like I I said to somebody recently about this that it, this feels like just like this would have been my absolute favorite album if I was like 16. Yeah. Which is not to knock it now, but it just like I think that there are albums that you go to and albums that um, meet you where you are. Yeah. And this album 
totally meets, meets you, you where you are. are. Like, right. if you're just, like, sitting around, hanging out with friends, having a glass of wine, perfect. If you're, like, going on a walk by yourself and want to, like, think about how much older you feel than you felt six months ago, <laughs> like, perfect. Like, if you are, like... It's great driving music. Great driving music, great dinner music. Like, it's, it's just, like, it just totally is just, like, a great thing to, like, project whatever feeling you have onto it. Completely. It will find you there. Yeah. Um, and I love it. I'm glad that you picked this one to talk about. Yeah. All um, right. Moving on to my next one. Yes. Um, speaking of albums that you need to go to. <laughs> oh, baby. Yeah. yeah. Um, I chose Grey by Moses Sumney. Um, Moses Sumney has an incredible, freaky, good voice. Yeah. He has, the, like, an insane range. He has, like, incredible control over it. And it it feels like such an instrument. Yeah, and he, but it's it doesn't feel like technical. Yeah, it feels he feels controlled, but it's like so raw and visceral. Yeah, and so um, <clears throat> this album is not, um, I would say, like super easy listening. It's not grating or like challenging exactly, but it is a, like, large, like, there's orchestral points, there's, like, grunge-adjacent points, there's, like, folk on it. It's, like, it's, like, this incredibly, like, genre-diverse, I guess chamber pop is probably a good, a good fitting word for it. Like, certainly pop, but it's not, it's not, like, a verse-chorus-verse-chorus kind of situation. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, and so this is, like, this is an album that, like, took me a little bit of time to, like, wrap my head around Mm -hmm. like the first time I heard it I was like this all blends together and I don't know what to make of it but the more time you give it the more time you really understand like how like full this is um it's like at the same time like orchestral and like deeply sensual Mm -hmm. yeah and I I, like have a, a lot of respect for like an album that is just sort of like a feat yeah and this was a feat and this was a feat um and it also just like I, I think that it's very easy for a artist who is a black man who has a falsetto to get trapped into a box of R&B. Mm-hmm. And he really made, like, a lot of, like, deliberate creative choices with how he was going to make music. The label that he signed to is the same label as Sufjan Stevens. Like, he really just, like, was like, I am going to make the kind of music that I want to and I'm refusing to be, like, boxed into something. Right. And that's not to say that every artist is responsible for being not boxed in because mm-hmm. um, that's no one's fault. But I think it's really cool to just see someone demonstrate such a clear mastery of so many different styles. And I really like him and I think that this album is, like, something that you can really just like dive into and I've always like loved to have like one or two of those albums like when I like look at a year in retrospect like sometimes I think like those are the albums that I have the most reverence for because they need they they demand that I give them the attention that they deserve because they are like so dense and so rich and so intentionally made yeah so Grey by Moses Sumney yeah definitely a feat definitely a feat cool so the next five albums Appeared on both of our lists. Um, it probably will surprise very few of the listeners, but we're just going to get into it. Yeah. So the first album that we're going to talk about is Future Nostalgia. <laughs> we can't add music anymore because Taylor's, <laughs> Taylor's team got us. So Yeah, so we're going to... But If this becomes like acapella, 
blame Sam. Yeah. Because it's definitely not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Fusion Nostalgia, Dua Lipa, Dula Peep. Um, Beautiful, sensual, young, <laughs> British. <laughs> <laughs> um, where to start with this album? You and I, I think, are kind of in agreement that this is, like, one slash one or two songs away from being, like, a completely perfect album. Oh, like, I really think Boys Will Be Boys, which is the last song on the album, tanks it. It's... It is so bad. It's the me, exclamation point. No, it's worse. I think it's worse. I think it is such a bad song. If we... we, So, now that we've gotten out the fact that we hate Boys Will Be Boys, and I've (laughs) listened to this album exclusively pretending that it doesn't exist, (laughs) this is just, like... A pitch perfect pop album. Yeah, completely. Like it, 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 it was certainly the most like consistent one. Yeah. Like, Don't start now. Physical. Pretty please. Levitating, which we talked about. Um, cool. Like they're all so. Don't good. start now, which is also just like an unbelievable song. Yeah. I think that this was just like it felt like it had such a clear sonic and aesthetic vision yeah it was like it was like modern disco future nostalgia right as yeah you said it's, yeah it's the the idea that it's it's clearly nostalgic it's clearly disco inspired but nothing about it feels dated at all it doesn't feel like it's trying to like as we would say telegraph anything <laughs> i think also like part of the reason why this was on my top 10 list other than the fact that i just really like it was like i think it was like one of the few like pure just like pop records to me that came out this year yeah um Chromatica is a pop record, but it... But it was a not good one. Yeah. And Positions kind of had this, like, very distinct R&B flavor that doesn't feel, like, as, like, pure, like, big, danceable, whatever. And then, obviously, Taylor's albums were, like, a total turn away from that. So it was cool to see that. Yeah, and I think it's, it's a... Dua Lipa, I think, is the person to watch when we're thinking about, like, the quote unquote future of pop. Because that's kind of dying. Like, it, pop is either venturing into this, like, hyper-pop thing that's happening with, like, Charlie and Rena and Grimes, even. And then, or it's, like, going kind of the way of Ariana, which is, like, R&B, hip-hop, trap-influenced. And there isn't a, there aren't a lot of artists that are making pure pop music anymore and like Dua Lipa I think is like the one yeah and that's uh, not that's not a knock also on any of those artists no but I'm I'm interested I think she's she's gonna be the metric for what like pure pop quote-unquote looks like in the future yeah because like you know if you think about the the, the pop stars of the of the generation before were all making like pure pop music. Like yeah. nothing about it was pushing any, it was like Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, even like Adele, Beyonce, like that era of pop music was pure pop. Yeah. And I mean, and I think that maybe that kind of style is beginning to feel antiquated to people. Right. Because right. like if you look at who's objectively the most famous pop musician out right now would be Billy. Yeah, I guess. And she, I mean, she is a pop. I, I yeah. firmly stand by the fact that Billie Eilish makes pop music, right. but there's kind of like an eye roll. Like, I'm not going to make like that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm going to do something alternative. I'm going to do something that's like very like hip hop influenced, very like culture pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, And I kind of, what I like about this is it's like, 
nostalgic. Mm -hmm. It like pays homage to like a kind of pop music, right? Yeah. Disco. And it's just like not trying to be anything other than what it is. It's just like right. we are going to make a bunch of really great songs that are going to make you want to dance. And that's it. And she like completely succeeded. And, and, that, I, and that's why Boys Will Be Boys fails. Because it is projecting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a song that's consumed with delivering a message. And it's it's a very um, kind of antiquated like it's like not even it's like it's like it reminds me of the man by taylor swift it's, exactly it's, it's very just like it's stating a problem rather than like exploring a problem that yeah that's a great i totally like that characterization and and it, it's just like boy, men are taught bad things growing up yeah and it's like yes that is something that we know um but the album besides that one song so is good. so fucking good. Yeah. Not like not a dud. There's not a skip. At all. Yeah. It's also like, even though it's like all very up tempo, there's like, there's no ballads on it. Kind of except for boys will be boys, but there's like, there's no like, okay, we're going to slow yeah, it down. Right. It yeah. is like the sequencing of it is just like, which I love because it's again, it's not trying to be anything that it's not. Yeah. It's a um, serotonin boost. Yeah. I love that album. All right. All right. So the next one that we're going to do is... St. Cloud by Waxahachie. This, this was quite a bit higher on my list than it was on yours. Yeah, this was like towards the bottom of the 10. Yeah, and this was, I think, like... Three for you? Four? Two. So I was really excited about this album coming out because I like Waxahachie a lot. I The lead singles, Fire and Lilacs, were just like two... And can't Do Much. Yeah, and Can't Do Much. Like three songs that I absolutely love. Lilacs was my most played song of the year. It was my number one emotionally song of the year. <laughs> but um, there was an article, like an interview with Katie Crutchfield, who is Waxahachie, about her like process in making this and she said that when she was recording this album she had three records hung up in the booth that she wanted to like use as kind of like inspiration because they felt she felt like those albums had like a totally perfectly executed singular vision to them and it was car wheels on a gravel road by lucinda williams which is like an all-time great country rock record mm -hmm. an album i absolutely love i love lucinda williams i think she's just like one of the all-time bests Control by SZA, <laughs> which is also just like a decade-defining yeah, album. Completely. Like, We're, yeah, we, mentioned, like, we mentioned it every episode, but there's not there's nothing else to say. That is a perfect album. I've returned to it once a month at least. Yeah. Like, it's so good. And then the third one was the Idler Wheel by Fiona Apple, <sighs> which is also just an album that like I absolutely love. And is just incredibly important to me. And I read that and I was like, that is my entire taste in music wrapped up into yeah, three albums, completely, literally. Completely. And so, so Waxa, Katie Crutchfield, I guess, has like made mostly kind of like rock music, punk rock music. But she's like originally from Birmingham, Alabama. And so mm -hmm. she sort of like did like a country kind of thing on yeah. this. Where it, like, feels very country-inspired. I would not go as far as to say that it's a country album, but it, like, definitely has, oh, definitely. like, really big elements of that. Yeah. It's more Americana than it is country. Yeah. But it has, like, it's, it's roots-inspired. Very much so. Yeah. It is, like, a perfect combination of songs with, like, great hooky choruses that 
like I mentioned with Lilacs, like with a different production, feel like they could be top 40 hits. Totally. And like these like really gorgeous and like stripped down like piano ballads that are about like pretty serious things like most of the album is just about her like being really in love which i love (laughs) right but she talks about like friends who have passed away from drug overdose she also is sober and like got sober i think right before this album was made and that was kind of like a big part of that for her Mm -hmm. um i just like there's like nothing that i don't want to bring this album with me for yeah i i think like it, it, it's so transporting. If you just sit there and, like, listen to it, you're in a field. Yeah. Like, it's just... It, it reminds you of nature, even though there's nothing, like... There's nothing specifically... Yeah. It's it's just so... It's so textured. Yeah. And it, it kind of has, to me, almost like a Bonnie Raitt feel. Yeah, completely. And that, to me, makes me think of driving in the car with my parents. Mm-hmm. And it just was, like, felt perfect for, like driving around my hometown but then also when I came back to my life here it's like if if I'm cooking dinner with a friend like right it's also very cozy oh it's super cozy and like small I don't know it's just yeah thumbs up it was also just like I think like when you think of like this coming out in just a super stressful time it felt homey and comforting and yeah and and her voice is so distinct and like and it's just super, she has such an interesting voice that like creates a sense of intimacy I think yeah it's also like a, in my mind like a perfectly sequenced album mm-hmm. like the opener and the closers feel like opener and closers the yeah. opener kind of has this like kind of momentum building feeling about it it starts mm-hmm. with like this sort of like a little bit sparse like electronic instrumentation that's really the only like non yeah digital flavor Mm -hmm. on it and it ends with just this like gorgeous piano ballad that is the title track saint cloud yeah and i kind of love like just like having the title track be at the top or the bottom of an album yeah it's a nice little yeah and it it just is like and then saint cloud is the name of her um father's hometown and Mm -hmm. it's just like about her in a lot of ways like coming to terms with her like upbringing in the south and how she had spent so much time like trying to get away from that she was involved in the punk scenes with her sister who also makes music and yeah it's just like it feels like a cup of tea it feels like (laughs) but also like a beer yes yeah it's great yeah just like really feel good yeah just but if you're a little sad if you're really happy if you're in love, if you're falling out of love, like it's all just like it works. It totally works. It totally just comes to you and it w- wraps you in a warm hug and it says like let's stay here for a while. Yeah. I love that album. I love it. It would the if if the number one album that is like if the last album that we talk about on this did not come out this year, this there's no doubt in my mind that this would have been my favorite album mm-hmm. of the year. Um and I think that this will be one of my favorite albums of the next five years. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um I have like the physical copy of it. It's just like it is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it. Ugh, I love this album. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next one. Oh baby. Uh, it's folklore. It's folklore. <laughs> <laughs> um we obviously are not ashamed of liking Taylor Swift on this podcast. Okay, but here's the thing. Yeah. For me, this album coming out, I think, made me come to terms with the fact that I am ultimately a Swifty. <laughs> like, I, for her entire career up until this point, 
I've always, you know, been the first one to kind of, like, criticize her for some of, like, her media antics. But, like, I've always, like, been invested in her and I've always cared about, like, what the music sounds like. But I think I've just always been in denial, like, oh, like, I hate Taylor Swift. Like, you know, I can recognize that the music is good, but, like, I'm so exhausted by her and I just don't, like, blah, 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 blah. But when when this album was announced my immediate reaction was like, oh my God, that's so exciting. And I just, in that moment, I was like, Sam, you fucking love Taylor Swift. Shut up. I remember, because you and I were in communication this day, because when Folklore was announced, I was on vacation with my girlfriend's family. Mm -hmm. I literally like walk downstairs and like tell Lucy's family, like, I'm gonna probably need to just like take some time to process this at 9 p.m. tonight, which is (laughs) an insane thing to do. Yeah holding Lucy's family hostage on their own vacation. <laughs> but it was cool, though, because I, like, was able to listen to it when it came out, and it wasn't midnight, but you and I were, like, texting the entire time. We literally, like, started it at exactly the same time like, without, planet, without planning. Like, Yeah. Um, I think that the reason why, like, this is an album... I mean, I like this album because the al- songs are good. Like, yes. plain and simple. Like, I mean, like, there isn't really much else to even say on that, but I think, like the thing about this album that was so exciting at first was like, as you said, here's an artist that you and I both admire for her talent, but find frustrating in her choices. Yeah. And like the choices that she makes are, there are few of them, but they're big and smart. Yeah. Whereas in her past albums, they're super, the risks kind of feel like, um, like throwing pain at the wall what is it? Throwing spaghetti at the throwing wall? spaghetti at the wall and seeing See if it sticks. sticks. Yeah. Like the choices that she made on folklore to like commit to this aesthetic one, and then also like commit to fiction. Yeah. As like a concept. It feels like she put in like more critical thought than she usually does. Yeah. In, she, because, in part because there's no horrible songs on it. <laughs> <that's> <laughs> you know true. what I mean? Like, <laughs> but, uh, but also just like, I don't know, like she knows that, so much of her thing is that she puts these Easter eggs in. She she's a universe. She's a yeah. She yeah. she she like puts these hidden messages. Everything is so layered, and so much of what's fun for her and for her fans is like deciphering those. And like, it feels like you know, people writing secret notes to each other. And like, she has found the way through this like choice of committing to fiction to like continue that like trajectory of like you know parsing the lyrics and finding the messages and you know finding the connections between cardigan and august and betty and all of these different things um while not making it feel out of place yeah i totally it, agree. Ju- it just feels like she like took a step back and was like this is a thing that i like to do what is the most effective way to like have the song remain good while also like having these things yeah. It's a skill that it feels like she's kind of learned on this album. Yeah. And as we said before, it's the first album. Again, it With is no too... duds. There, There's no duds. It's too long. But... Yeah, I think we're, we're in agreement that it should... The cut is epiphany. Yeah. Otherwise, like, again, there's no song in it that I'm like, why did you add this? Right. There's no boys will be boys. Exactly. She's... <laughs> <laughs> This album is so good. <laughs> I I think that, you know, like, the big, like, collaboration choice that she made here was Aaron Dustner, right. who, 
you know, is like one of the big creative engines of the national. And we talked about this on the Evermore episode. So I don't want to assuming you guys are all up to date, but like, <laughs> um, but I think that by working with someone who was like really decidedly not in the pop world, I think that she sort of allowed herself to not create like a checklist on this album of making, this will be good for studio right. stadium tours. And this will be that. And like in part, because she didn't feel like she had the pressure of touring for it she was able to sort of create like a more like elegant yeah yeah and like nuanced yeah she did she she didn't need to rely on she no longer needs to rely on radio plays yeah because she's a superstar now she knows that she can make pretty much anything and there will be millions of people that love it no matter what yeah and she will sell out every tour that she ever does from now on like and so she can make these more bold choices. I, I wrote this down as kind of like my like one unique thought on this because I, I don't <laughs> think that there's like anything I have to say or really either of us have to say that has not been said about this album and that we haven't already said about this album. Right. But something that I was saying for a really long time was that the music that Casey Musgraves is making right now or like made on Golden Hour mm-hmm. was like where I wished and where we all kind of wanted and maybe thought Taylor would go. You know, we definitely have that conversation. Yeah. Doing something maybe like experimental and like a little indie, but like still kind of like focusing in on what she's good at, which is like crisp songwriting, good melody. Yep. And I think that like this album in a way like started veering her in that direction. And I I almost feel like I saw more of that a little on Evermore, though. I do think at this point folklore still is better for me. And I don't mean that in the sense that she really made country music on this because she didn't. Maybe Betty could go into kind of in that, but not really. But I think of songs like Mirrorball and Last Great American Dynasty and like... August. August. And for me, which is kind of like the one that I hold close to me on this album, Peace, which I know is like maybe kind of a hot take, but like Mm -hmm. I think that Taylor has framed this choice to do this as a risk a lot, which is yeah. like kind of funny because of course it's not a risk. Like everyone will listen to her surprise album. Right. Her label was obviously thrilled. Like there was, there's no, I don't really think that it was risky. And I also don't think that most of these songs are not super out of left field. Like the production no. production's really different, but it's still like very tautly created pop music. Like, yeah. but the one song that I think really like shows to me, like the depths that she was sort of willing to go on this was peace, which does have a verse chorus, but the instrumentation kind of travels from like point A to point B. It sounds like a cut off of twenty to a million. Yeah. Or kind like I I like like very like the sound of that with that little like pulsating electronic thing, mm-hmm. kind of like that like diddly guitar. Yeah. Like it's so sparse and she lets her voice take full command of it. And it's to me one of the best she's ever sounded yeah. on. And it's also just like a genuinely like introspective track i think taylor's great at asking questions in her music and i think that like the line like will it would it be enough if i could never give you peace right is is like kind of just like this like big statement that applies very much to her as like a ridiculously famous pop star who is i imagine incredibly difficult to date but also like if you're anyone who is someone who deals with a mental health issue or like I don't know. Like, I feel that way about myself sometimes in my relationships, like to be earnest on the pod, (laughs) but like, yeah. Anyway, I love this album. Yeah. Yeah. Just great. Folklore. Folklore we love. All right. On to the last two. And now folklore for (laughs) folklore Folklore for for girls girls. who drown their sins (laughs) as 
I did not come up with that. I yeah. saw someone say that. Just yeah. So this next album was my album of the year. Um, and it is Punisher by Phoebe Bridgers. Mm. And this was my number three. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> like... We got into this with... Because we each had a song from Punisher on our songs yeah. list. Um, so... So, okay, there's so much here. So, I... Okay, when this album came out, my primary, like, understanding of Phoebe Bridgers, like, I got into her with Boy Genius. Yeah. That was, like... Which is kind of the same thing for me. Which was her... So, she, Julian Baker, and Lucy Dacus... Three women who could run me over with <sighs> Ford trucks, and I would look at them and I would say, "Thank you." <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. just, and the music was so good. Every song on that EP is just absolutely perfect. Right, and so, and so, I, that all of that plus like the few singles, uh, the few singles that I knew from Phoebe's first album, "Stranger in the Alps," "Stranger in the Alps," which came out in like 2017, I think, mm-hmm. um, primed me for being very excited for this album because she's the first boy genius person to put out a solo album since the boy genius ep she released two singles ahead of it garden song which was great um and kyoto which was obviously my second favorite song of the year um so just like going in i was like so excited my expectations were so high and they were fucking met baby like yeah she is such an original songwriter and is so good it's like just like she mixes these moments of like writing like one would speak and then we'll just throw in this like metaphor it's like poetry yeah it, it's it she just like yeah. takes you by surprise and is like she is someone who i think like in the future people will refer to her their like people refer to other people's writing as like Phoebe Bridgers esque. Yeah. If it has like a dreamlike quality or like yeah, a it, sadness mixed with like deep humor. Right. It's it, it, yeah. And th- that's the thing that I think I the that the humor is the thing that I really am drawn to with her because I have a hard time with earnestness and just like she delivers these songs that are like so sad and so filled with like existential dread and like grief and all of these things but we'll then throw in a joke about evangelicals yeah or like even in garden song which is like kind of an intense song it's like she jokes about like burying her like crushes skinhead neighbor right yeah yeah just it's this it's this like i feel like her whole ethos is like sitting down and smoking a cigarette as the house is burning around you. Yeah. It's like... The this th- is fine meme. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. It's like, LOL, everything is going to shit. And, and, the, and That's, the song... I know the end. I know the end is literally that. She screams at the end. It's like, funny, but it's also like, visceral. And, and it's about the apocalypse. And... Yeah. Which is also very fitting. <laughs> yeah. Given just like, everything. I think that if, also if we were to talk about celebrities for whom like quarantine like just completely worked oh, for them yeah. like she was so teed up to just like knock this one out of the park which you and i are in agreement that she did yeah but like she just like was so good at twitter she yeah she also is like doing she's done a lot of like at home performances of these albums in like really cool ways she'd like played kyoto in her bathtub she like 
She sing. just she just did another Kyoto from her bed. Yeah, she did like there's like a version of her like singing I see you in like a car like doing donuts in a parking lot like yeah. and her at home tiny desk concert she like is dressed in a suit and is like looks like she's like she set up a green screen to make so, it look like she's in the Oval Office. Yeah, she just like has really like done a lot of really cool creative stuff that I think has like been at the same time like funny and like emotional and like poignant. Um, yeah. And I, I mentioned this again on the songs pod, but this album took me like a week or two to kind of like mm-hmm. realize how much I liked it. And like the song that kind of got me hooked on the album as a whole was actually the title track. Yeah. Um, But it's a song about Elliot Smith, who is a very famous musician who died uh, in the early 2000s. And mm-hmm. like, like the term Punisher is like somebody who like meets a musician and mm-hmm. can't help but act super weird around them. Yeah. And she's sort of saying, you know, if I met Elliot Smith, I would be, be super weird. Yeah. And it's almost good that I didn't. But there is that chorus, which is, what if I told you that I feel like I knew you, but we never met? And yeah. I think that that's something that, like, so many of the Reader's fans feel with her. Yeah. And I do feel that way a little bit with her. Oh, she really? feels so much like in the world that I live in as far as just like the internet and queer community. Just like And and she shares so much yeah. in her music about like her life. Yeah. Like the whole thing about Moonsong being about Connor Oberst. We think. We think which it's like the common kind of theory. Assumption. It's like that was not a relationship that was really publicized at, at all. all. Um, like, I like, had they were no never idea that those two involved. were... Yeah. And the same thing with, like, Kyoto and her dad. Like, we don't know really anything about her dad. She doesn't talk about her dad. But the music is so intimate and is so detailed and gives us so much to know about her. You know, what if I feel like I've known you, but we've never met? Like, she, in the music gives us so much of herself. She and Connor Oberst got in touch apparently after she released her first album and he like wrote her a letter that said like I have a feeling that some of these songs will make people feel a little less alone. And I think that yeah, I, I think that's so I think it's so totally true. true. And I I was just really happy like cuz she the thing was like I think that Stranger in the Alps got like it was generally positive but kind of a lukewarm yeah. perception. It, it didn't it wasn't like a breakout album for her in any like meaningful no, way. No, like really motion sickness was more of a breakout yeah. song. And I also think that that was a breakout song in the wake of the fact that it was about Ryan Adams. And I think this actually right. is a really good point because no one knew that song was about Ryan Adams until that whole thing about Ryan Adams um right. Ryan Adams for those who don't know was a rock musician who um basically has been abusive to like a large swath of women yeah. including mandy moore who was Fe- the primary whistleblower yeah but also phoebe bridgers when she was quite young was a you know survivor of his like horrible shit and no one knew that motion sickness was about him until until that was revealed like a couple of years later and there's a line in motion sickness you where she a- says you said when you met me, you were bored, and you you were in a band when, when I, I was born. born, which is an like every uh, time I hear that, I get full body chills, yeah. and like it, it's just like I think though that shows like it's all there, and how much she chooses to let us in is how much she chooses to let us in, right? But like I think because the Boy Genius album was just like 
kind of instantly so, okay. iconic. And then the Better Oblivion Community Center album is an album that I love and was also just given, I think, in my mind, a much stronger reception than Stranger in the Alps. Right. I was really excited that she made her solo record that also just was, like, universally loved. Because yeah. It, yeah. And I, I don't know. I, to kind of wrap up Punisher is, like, I, I just... I feel like I've said this about a few things today, but, like, there's so much there just on the surface. Like, on the surface, it's, like, beautiful guitar playing, beautiful arrangements. Her voice is great. Really interesting and earwormy melodies. You can also listen to this album and love it if you're not, like, trying to cry. Yeah. But then if you want to, like, really hear the lyrics and, like understand the like actual meaning of what she's saying you can go there and it's like so fucking rewarding yeah and it's just it it's so good it's so good it's so good and it's my like my favorite album of the year sweet so shall we and go to our last and my favorite album of the year which evermore just kidding (laughs) (laughs) just kidding (laughs) oh my god so um you may have guessed it but the number one album of our year and of so many other people with opinions and publications yeah. and whatever is Fiona Apple's Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Yeah. Um, this was my number two. Ilana's number one. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm going to kick us off on this one. Go for um, it, baby. I was really, really excited about this album coming out. We didn't get a ton of warning. We got like a couple, like two weeks maybe. Yeah, so she she put out, like, a video on Twitter. It was just, like, a selfie video of her face, and she, like, spelled out in American Sign Language, like, alphabet, my album is ready, or my album is done, or yeah. something. And that was, like, a month before it came out. Yeah. Because it was supposed to come out later. So it was supposed to come out in October, and she just kind of, like, told her label, like, it's going to come out right now. Um, right, because she was like, the world needs it. Yeah. Um, I also <laughs> think that Fiona did not want to have to tour or do press for this. Yeah. And I think that she kind of made the decision to put it out in a time when that was, like, pretty much impossible. Right. Fiona Apple is notoriously, like, very anti-music industry and very anti, like, media. Yeah, she's kind of hermetic. Yeah. Like, and and the, the only reason I even knew that there might be an album coming out is, like, maybe, like, the fall before or, like, last winter... There was a pretty long New Yorker profile right. on her that kind of came out randomly that like suggested that an album might be coming out, but the right it suggested that there was new music that she was playing the person who was doing the New yeah. Yorker profile. And so once this was announced, it was like the beginning of April. We had been in quarantine, like it was obvious that we were going to be in quarantine for a while. And I was like, I fucking need this. And then when this came out, it you know the kind of big news around it was that it had gotten this ten on Pitchfork. Right. A major regret of mine is having seen that before I went into the album, and I really did not want to know. Yeah. Because this was an album I was just going to listen to no matter what the review said, because I obviously yeah, and I was debating if I wanted to listen to a midnight. I listened to, like, the first song, and I was like, I need to disengage right now, because right. I'm really tired. And I was like, I can wait until the morning. And I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning, couldn't fall back asleep, looked at my phone, opened up Twitter, saw the tweet that Pitchfork made that said Fiona Apple's, like... Vegetable Cutters. ...is a perfect album. And I was like, there's no way. And I clicked on it, and I saw the 10, and I closed it, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I woke up the next morning, I look over at Lucy, I was like, 
it got a 10. She's like, cool. (laughs) That's big. And I like walked downstairs, my brother, who I'm also living with at this point, he's like, oh my God. Right. And so I felt like I kind of like, I didn't want the experience of this album to be sullied for me by going into it with this expectation and Mm -hmm. this weight that it was going to be something special. But... Oh boy, was it. Yeah. I I think it's, like, normal for people to kind of, like, give flack to an album that gets, like, the 10 on Pitchfork or, like, gets this, like, critical consensus. And especially an album like this, which, like, I would make the argument it's not inaccessible in the way a lot of people maybe say it is. Like, Uh, yeah, this is an album you fucking go to. Yeah, yeah. I, I would is... say. I mean, there, like, I think, in terms of the ex- accessibility of this album, I think it just like entirely depends on like how you listen to music and like what you look for in music. Like, people like music because it sounds good, because of all of the chemical reasons that people like music, right? Yeah, like, and that's why pop music exists because it's it, it. It goes down easy. It goes down easy, and I think people who are casual yeah but like more than just ca- like pe- people who are people who just like don't really need depth or relatability in music which is also not a bad way to consume. no and yeah that's this is judgment free yeah i don't think it's probably the way i watch movies you yeah. know yeah. yeah like oh did i enjoy the experience of watching this yeah yes this <laughs> right. is a good movie yeah so i i think for people like that this album is inaccessible because it is it is not easy listening yeah at all you know i know like my sister who's 16 and like you know has a relationship to music and like like has an emotional attachment to music um like i made her listen to this album and she was like that was weird yeah so like i think it is inaccessible to a lot of people yeah but it wasn't for us. <laughs> yeah, we're, so, we're so smart. We are so musically curious. Right. But, but I guess I was more, um, I, I felt like it was something that I heard and immediately loved. Yeah. And, and I think when I say like inaccessible, a lot of the times when I think of it's music that like Moses Sumney, right. it may not be something you hear the first time and you're like, oh, I want to turn that back around and hear it again. Yeah. But this was something that was like, viscerally exciting to me and and i think also a part of the excitement of this was that it felt like it was just the first time since quarantine had begun so about a month in that people were in my life talking about anything else right you know it felt like this like huge like sigh of relief and then also for what it's worth this was an album that it was not created during quarantine it was created in eight years but it but because of who Fiona Apple is and the way that she lives her her life it feels like a quarantine album i mean and it's called fetch the bolt cutters and the title track says fetch the bolt cutters i've been in here too long right it it's very stifled yeah because fiona apple doesn't fucking leave her house yeah and and i think that for me like i think that this is an album that i actually would categorize as like really like a first like post me too album yeah there is a lot about like sexual violence and abuse in some level yeah. and and relationship manipulation and just and, like power dynamics between men and women totally and also between women yes that doesn't just name the issue it like it, deeply explores and it doesn't even name the issue except for when she really names the issue right on, like, um, for, on her. for her which is like this like crazy like two and a half minute long like acapella thing where she like it, it was about brett kavanaugh um, and she wrote it during those com- the confirmation 
there's like this part in that song where she says you know you should know but you don't know what you did and repeats it over and over and i think like i think about like the kavanaugh hearings and the vitriol that that man had because he could not fucking remember and he like he knew what he did but he couldn't quite gather it and it's like she manages to like look at all of these issues in a way that is so like cuts to them Mm-hmm. And and in a way that at times is very funny, I think of Under the Table as a great example of this, where the opening right. line of it is, I told you I didn't want to go to this dinner. <laughs> right. Um, and it's, a, you know, that song is about her, like, saying something to, like, a music executive at, like, some meal. And the chorus is, kick me under the table all you want, I won't shut up. Right. Which is funny, but it also, like, if you know anything about the biography of Fiona Apple, Fiona Apple was someone who was publicly ridiculed in, like, the late 90s for being really open about her mental health issues. And And her her experience with sexual assault. Yeah, and she is someone who was a survivor who was quite violently attacked at a really young age, and it's something that she talked about publicly, and people were like, oh, this, like, crazy, insane woman. Mm -hmm. And I think that Fiona Apple is, in a lot of ways, like, the patron saint of current pop stars because all of these musicians now who are coming up, you know, like, even, like, a Lord or, like, a Billie Eilish, really. Right. have have the freedom to talk about these like dark things that they've been through and it's part of their appeal right and i like like what we were just saying about phoebe bridgers exactly she shares so much of herself yeah and and it took people like fiona apple who were willing to share so much of themselves right to make that not an ostracized place to be and she also like and and i said this you know when we talked about ladies and you mentioned this this is a song about her relationships not just with men but with other women and Mm -hmm. how she has struggled to kind of have close female friends and newspaper i love that song which is an amazing song on this she talks about the experience of like watching another woman with a man who she had been with who was like i don't know if she says he was abusive exactly just like shitty yeah and and she was like the watching him look at you across the room makes me almost love you the thing with this album is like this is so basic and like feels like should be like the baseline for lyricism just like in general but like talks about issues that we know and experience and have felt but words them in these ways that are just like no one has ever thought to word them that way oh um if you think about heavy balloon which was which is one of my favorites on the album and yeah and it's a song about her struggle with depression um, and she talks about depression like a heavy balloon that right. you're constantly trying to just push up. Right. And then she says in the chorus, in this like... I spread like strawberries. I, I climb, climb like, like peas, peas and beans. beans. Like, I've been sucking it in so long that I'm bursting at the seam. Oh. And she says that like when you've been dragged down for so long, the bottom is the only safe place that you know. Yeah. And that is like... A deeply relatable feeling if you're ever someone who has, like, dealt with any mental health issue, mm-hmm. not knowing what life is like outside of that and almost feeling afraid to escape that is vulnerable and really honest. And I think, like, that mm-hmm. line hit me really immediately because, like, that is something I have felt before. Yeah. And, you know, like, I actually, like, if we think about that New Yorker article, and I've read that article, like, 15 times <laughs> because I, right. I just like, find it's very interesting. But she talks about Me Too a little bit in it and kind of her relationship to that because she was someone who had been vocal about these issues before it was 
more socially acceptable. Yeah. But Fiona Apple actually very briefly dated Louis C.K. Oh, right. And and over the course, like this profile, I think, was written over the course of like a year. And so like Louis C.K. was kind of ousted. Well, while this like she was in contact with this journalist, right? And um, she had sort of said to the journalist, like, I think that he will in- investigate. I think he's gonna like be earnestly apologize for this. Louis C.K. obviously did not earnestly apologize for this. He gave right. like a super shitty response. And what she said to this journalist, or like texted to this journalist, and I think about it all the time, where she was like, "He is so weak because he." doesn't allow himself to actually be introspective. She was like, I think about who I am as a person so much and it is so scary and I still do it. And that is what makes me strong. And that is what makes him weak that he can't do that. Yeah. And I think that that to me is like the thing about Fiona Apple that is so singular about her vision and the way she writes and the way that she makes music is she is like, I am going to do the work of reaching inside of myself and I'm going to say who I am and that's all I can be. And she said in this very recent article that came out on Pitchfork like two weeks ago, which is, again, one of the very few articles she has written where she was like, I wanted to make a record where I sounded like myself because I do not sound like anybody else and the way that I sound is great. Yeah. And it's like, what what a way of affirmation. She, like, actually does not sound like anybody else. No. She she is... Like, she is she is actually wholly an original. Like, this album, it felt ahistorical, almost, in the way music sounds. It, it yeah. doesn't... And, and, and in the sense that, like, nothing about this album says anything about the way music sounds in 2020. No, it is, it, it is completely its own. But everything about this album, to me, says what it felt like to live in this year. Yes. And this album just, like, made me feel less alone and made me feel as Fiona Apple has always made me feel like I deserve to trust more in who I am. Yeah. And I got to share this album with a lot of people that I love this year. And yeah, same. Yeah. I, it just, this is an album that like makes you excited about music. Yeah. And like the power of music and like what music can sound like and look like and make you feel. And just like both technically and then also like spiritually and emotionally is like the most effective piece of music that has come out in so long yeah 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 i guess that's what we're gonna say i don't know if there really is anything left this has been this has been just like an amazing like shitty year yes but music the the music that came out this year was just like off the walls good yeah crazy yeah and so i'm really glad we like got to share this yeah if you are listening as we said before follow us rap pod W-R-A-T-P-O-D. Mm-hmm. Press that follow button on Spotify. If you like this, if you have criticisms, maybe keep them to yourself, but feel free to reach out about anything else. <laughs> right. Um, and tell us, like, I'd love to know, like, what people were, like, into. Yeah, this um, year. But anyway, thank you for listening. Sam, do you have to pee? I don't. I don't have, don't to, have pee. to pee either, but I do want to go eat a full buttermilk chicken that has been marinating in my fridge all day. Keep your eyes out for more. Keep your eyes out for more. We might be some dropping some, some... multimedia content. Who knows? Yeah. But right. um, it was good chatting, everybody. Good chat. Bye. Bye.